Welcome to Ragbag's bonus bag. As promised last time, I'm going to fill the ragbag-sized hole that exists in your life during the show's hiatus to bring you some highlights from Ragbag's gone by. We'll hear this week's offering, the best of the specials, shortly. It's a composite of three previous episodes, the Orange Special, the Candle Special and the Barber's Poe Special, the first of which dates all the way back to those wild days of 2018. Enjoy. First of all, listen up. The first episode of my brand new podcast, I Like the Sound, will be launching its way into the world on Monday, 23rd of November. I will release that episode on this podcast feed for anyone who wishes to try before they subscribe. But just to make it clear, it's a separate podcast to this one, so you have to subscribe to it separately. There are some links between the two shows. For example, the first episode features brief appearances by Mandarin from Bis and Sheetal Singh, aka Forest Bees, both previous ragbag guests. You can also expect appearances from other previous ragbag guests, such as Thomas Churax, Theopolis Quek, Leanne Kelly from New Spell, Ben Goldberg, Julia Sophie. That's all coming up on I Like The Sound. One more announcement. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I don't enjoy being on social media. I haven't been on social media for something like a year now, and the listenership for the podcast grew about five times bigger during that time, so it goes to show how little I needed to be on there. But seeing as I have some new things to promote, I've figured out a way of being on social media without being on social media. Ragbag is now on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents, but I am not. The accounts are run by Bernie, the PR guy. More about Bernie another time. He's an interesting man. I do contribute bits and pieces myself, mostly in the form of handwritten notes. So I'm kind of on social media, but via the medium of pen and paper, which is something I'm a little bit more comfortable with, I guess. It occurs to me that not everyone who follows the social media accounts are actual listeners to the show, so just so you good people can identify yourself when you follow Ragbag Presents, I've come up with a secret code phrase which only listeners to the show will understand. So here's your mission, Ragbag Alliance. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and leave us a comment or a DM with a secret passphrase. The secret passphrase is this. I'm only here for the snacks... That's a new catchphrase as well. You can use that in all sorts of different scenarios. Business meeting? What do you make of these figures for quarter four? Who, me? I'm only here for the snacks. Or let's say you're serving a prison sentence and someone says, what are you in for? I'm only here for the snacks. So there you go. Use that on social media. What are you doing on social media? I'm only here for the snacks. You see, it doesn't even have to make sense. I'm thinking of having some t-shirts done with I'm only here for the snacks on them. Watch out for that if I get round to it. We'll get cracking with the best of the specials in a minute, but first let's do a quick ragbag recommends. Here's a promo for a podcast that you're going to enjoy, The Half Hour Bros. This is the Half Hour Bros Podcast with brothers Kurt and Tom. Warning, explicit content ahead. What's up, everybody? This is the Half Hour Bros Podcast. I'm Kurt. I'm Tom. Be a bro. Check us out. We're two bros chilling. Stories, conspiracy theories, beer. Everybody loves beer. We know you like it. We're reviewing everything. Hit us up. I got my plug man, Tom. Set it up. 
Yo, check us out, halfhourbros at gmail.com, at halfhourbrospod on Twitter. Stop through, check it out, be a bro. There you go, man. A lot of podcasts out there. Check us out. Yes, sir. Welcome to Rag Bag. My name's Frank Burton. As promised, here is a very special episode. I'm very excited about this, guys. As far as I know, it's a podcasting first. No shout-outs this time, and I don't have time to answer any of your questions this edition, because I am going to be eating an orange. Welcome to the Orange Special. So here we have it, this glorious piece of fruit right in front of me. I'll be putting some pictures of this process on Twitter and Facebook so you can see what I see. Yeah? Don't want you to miss out on uh, what is a very much a visual experience. I don't know about you, but the first thing I always notice about oranges is the colour. Because for a start, it's the only fruit that's named after the colour of its skin. Blueberries don't count. Because for a start, they're not blue. And also, they're not called blue. They're called blueberries. Don't get me started on blueberries. They do my nutting, man. Because they reckon they're better than everyone else, don't they? What is a superfood, anyway? It's just childish. Childish terminology. Also, I guess it's worth pointing out that an orange is the only thing that's named after the colour that it is, fruit or otherwise. Correct me if I'm wrong. So the first thing I see looking at this is the colour. And the thing about oranges are, they really are orange, aren't they? This one has a real vibrant glow to it. I Also, I wonder where, where the word comes from. Is the colour orange named after the fruit, or is the fruit named after the colour? I don't know. The next thing I see are the subsidiary colours, the faded green of the stem. This one's wilting a little, could be mistaken for a dead moth. I like the stems when they're properly ripe, you know, little green stars. Like those luminous ones from my bedroom ceiling as a child. I used to lie with my eyes open watching these glow-in-the-dark plastic stickers slowly losing their lights until the room was pitch black. I wonder what I was thinking about at the time. Or maybe I wasn't thinking about anything. Maybe I was doing what I'm doing right now, which is staring at an everyday object, examining it, soaking up the experience. Then there's these tiny dark spots on the orange skin and the wrinkles. The more you examine this skin, the more you realise how human-like it is. Makes you wonder how close you are to cannibalism. 
Ain't that right, fruitarians? I'm vegan, right? So I'm a couple of shades less hardcore than you guys. I sympathise with your objectives, but looking at this orange, I'm wondering why you've chosen to reject vegetables on moral grounds, but not fruit. Fruit is just like you. It's your brother. It's skin and it's flesh. And how do you express these feelings of kinship? You eat it. Heartless. Just kidding, guys. Much respect. Don't have a go at the fruitarians, Frank. They're an easy target. Just uh, running my fingers over the surface of the orange now, getting a feel for it. And I've noticed that it's colder than the air around it. It's not been refrigerated. It's been sitting in the fruit bowl. There's an apple here, and yeah, let's have a feel. At, yeah, the orange is colder than the apple. What's that about? If anyone out there can explain that to me, please do get in touch. Let's just have a bit more music and then we can uh, dig a little deeper into the uh, mystery that is the orange. I am enjoying this. This is good. Good. The orange special. Why didn't I think of this before? By the way, during that last tune, I did a little uh, etymological research. I googled the words, which came first, the orange or the orange? Ended up down a very strange rabbit hole. Reading some stuff about this chap, Donald Trump. I mean, I honestly don't know who that is. I've seen people, you know, rabbiting on about him on social media and that, but I'm yet to work out if he's a fictional character or doesn't seem quite plausible as a human being but um, I must say if he is real he's done very well for himself hasn't he formidable character I do have a song about him in my possession and seen as this is the orange special and Donald Trump seems to have some connection to the color orange I don't quite understand what that is either I will play the song later on look forward to that eh So this is the moment, let's get inside this thing, fingernail right now piercing the peel, damaging it beyond repair, no going back after this first tear. Another one. This reminds me of the many times I've squirted orange juice directly into my eye at the peeling stage in this process. A part of me can't help feeling that as delicate as I'm being here, I am causing the orange pain. I don't believe I am. Tearing off a whole strip now. What's your peeling technique, listeners? Let me know. Actually, don't let me know. Mm. 
tranquilos, eh. Aguas, aguas. Quisiera regresar a ti. To be fair, I am really enjoying the absence of shout-outs in today's edition. A well-earned break. Like a proper weight off my shoulders, guys. Anyway, I'm a stripper, so to speak. I do strips. Finger-sized strips. And this is where that smell hits the old nostrils. The orange aroma. This is a real deal. Forget your scented candles, your air fresheners, your plug-ins. You want your house to smell nice? Peel an orange, yeah? Right, I got half of this off now, considering my next move in this little game. I reckon I can tear off the remainder of the skin in one final glorious rip. Perfect, perfect. Now there's plenty of that white stringy stuff. Does that have a name? Let's look that up. I hope I don't get a completely inappropriate response this time. What are the white bits in an orange cold? Let's have a look. Pith? No, they got that wrong, pith. Why would they call it that? Get your facts straight, um, World Health Organization. Apparently the pith of the orange contains as much vitamin C as the flesh. Not really buying that one either, guys. I'm not calling it pith. Okay, I refuse. I'll tell you what it looks like to me, and this is a callback to a previous episode. I can't remember which one in which um, a listener got in touch to tell me about having a thing about white shoelaces. I've been thinking about white shoelaces a lot lately, and yeah. I mean, the white stuff inside an orange reminds me of white shoelaces. Which has suddenly made this marvellous fruit all the more attractive. You know what I just remembered, right? This kid at school on the bus, I won't say his name, 12 years old or thereabouts, he had a cigarette in one hand because it was the 90s and we were still a smoking culture. Yeah, 12 year olds used to smoke cigarettes on the bus. So the kid had a cigarette. Cigarette? He had a cigarette, yeah. I don't care, I'm keeping that in. He had a cigarette in one hand and an orange in the other. Now remember this kid, he was a macho type, you know? Always going on about his dad, like how much his dad could weight lift. I took these claims at face value at the time, but I've since put two and two together. He's in prison now, this kid, but I do see his dad in the street occasionally. A six-year-old girl could snap his arms in half. Anyway, he had this orange in his free hand and I could see his thought process. He was trying to figure out how to eat his orange in like a macho way and he realised that couldn't be done. So the best he could do 
was chomp on it like it was an apple. Skin and everything. Didn't even peel it. He was a popular kid. He had the looks and the charisma. Girls loved him. Boys wanted his attention just as much. But at that moment I had a revelation about the price I'd have had to pay if I'd been popular myself. Surely nothing was worth eating orange peel for. Come on. Now, taste buds are poised and ready. I'm going to play a bit more music and then I'm going to eat this orange. And trust me, you do not want to miss this. It's what we in the podcasting world refer to as a climax. Here's a thought for you. You know, in stories, when one character says to another one, Come with me, I've got something to show you. And they take them off and they show them something. And it always turns out to be something really important, doesn't it? A lost piece of the mystery they're solving, or a relic from a character's past that reveals something telling about them. What you never see them do is go, come with me, I've got something to show you. And off they go to the fruit bowl and it's an orange. Never happens. And that, my friends, is why Ragbag the Orange Special is such an important cultural moment. Remember, I was the first person to do this, yeah? They'll all be doing their copycat pods in due course, mark my words. Hey, my name's Clive, I'm an insurance broker from Cheatham Hill by day, but by night, I do a podcast where I eat fruit and talk about it. I call it Juicy Talk. Yeah! Hi, I'm Gillian from Michigan. I'm a practicing lawyer. But that's not what my podcast's about. Oh no, welcome to Juicy Chats. A podcast where I eat fruit and talk about it. Yeah! And so on. Let's get stuck into this fruit then, guys. I'm going to eat this thing segment by segment. Let's stick this first one in. I'm peeling the white shoelaces off. I don't care how much vitamin C they got in them. Here we go. Pop it in. Oh. Oh, nice. Mmm. Oh, mushroom juice to the back of the throat. That's a damn fine flavour. Oh, I'll tell you what I like about oranges, right? Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit delirious now because I've anticipated the eating of this orange and now it's actually happening. I'll tell you what I like about oranges. I like the way the segments stick together. And I like the way they come effortlessly apart in your fingers. It's like, here you go. I suppose they tried to replicate this when they came up with a Terry's chocolate orange. But, you know, 
They made a real mess of that. Those segments do not come effortlessly apart. Sometimes you literally got to whack it with a hammer. There we go. Let's have another one. All right. Oh. Whoa, what? Whoa. All right, better look. Oh. Just looking under my fingernail at the um, the residue. I got a little orange rind resting comfortably beneath my fingernail, and you know what? I'm just going to let it sit there. Rind. Now that's a good word. I like the word rind. I like what rind is. I like getting it under my fingernails. Sometimes, if I'm feeling a little bit gross. I'll lick out the rind from under the nail. Even though I don't really like the taste that much. Remember you heard this here first, yeah? Hey, I'm Dale in Brisbane. I like talking about movies and video games and superheroes and stuff like that. But on my new podcast, Juicy Time, I'm going to be eating fruit and talking about it. Oh no you don't, Dale. Back in your box, mate. Just give me a little time here, a little privacy. I'll turn off my microphone and I'll finish this orange. There we are, done, done and dusted. I finished the orange, it was delicious. If I hadn't made this clear already, this has been my favorite episode of Ragbag so far. I mean, for those of you who probably aren't feeling the whole orange thing, normal service will resume again next time. I'm just enjoying the moment as it occurs. I did do a little more googling while I was eating to find out why oranges are colder than the room that they're in and if indeed they are, maybe it's just this one, maybe it's a magic orange, it certainly felt that way. Nothing came up that answered the question properly and I can't be bothered to look into it any further. Also I rather like things just being a little bit mysterious, sometimes just remaining ignorant of what's really going on or whether there's a scientific explanation for something what does it matter anyway how is it going to improve my life by finding out interesting facts about the chemical composition of citrus fruits I mean who cares really as I say normal service next time. All the usual features. Get in touch via the email address on the website frankburton.co.uk. I'm feeling generous guys. Ask me anything. Tell me anything. Anything you like. 
I really am delirious now. Might need to lie down after this. And just before we wrap things up, we got time for one more tune. And as promised, it's that David Rovix song. The one about Donald... Can't say the guy's name. Donald Trump. Again, I'm still not sure whether this is a real person or if it's some kind of cosmic practical joke that um, many people seem to be in on. rich man and he got richer still by bribing politicians on Capitol Hill by declaring bankruptcy by working with the mob by causing lots of Americans to lose their union jobs by exporting industries to sweatshops overseas by acting like an idiot on national TV but now add to his accomplishments one more impressive trait he's God's gift to the caliphate God's gift to the caliphate. In between his beauty pageants and gambling casinos and pretending to be a self-made man in films and TV shows, Donald Trump decided he should run for president. For jihadi recruiters, his campaign was heaven sent. It's a war between religions, a civilizational fight. That's what Daesh says, and Donald Trump says that's right. All you Muslims, stay out of here. Just go join Islamic State. He's God's gift to the caliphate. God's gift to the caliphate. He's not much for statistics, he doesn't have the time Between harassing women and committing corporate crime But he's a savvy gambler, he knows how to play the game He's got a list of groups ready-made for him to blame He doesn't just hate Muslims, he hates Mexicans as well And he's prepared to win the contract for the wall he wants to sell But the terrorists around the world think he's really great He's God's gift to the caliphate. God's gift to the caliphate. The future of the world may be technically unknown, but if the past is any indication, then Trump has set the tone, along with 27 governors and Congress people by the score, who, if we turn the clock back to 1944, would be turning back the refugees just like we did back then. Hey, that worked out so well, why not just do it all again? Because what the world clearly needs is more bile bombs and hate. And God's gift to the caliphate. God's gift to the caliphate. Welcome to Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton, a.k.a. Lazarus Newman. Another special edition for you here, folks. Remember the Orange special? Yeah, of course you do. This is going to be even better than that. 
I'm not eating anything this time. I'm sitting, looking at a candle. Welcome to the Candle Special. Now, I haven't actually lit this thing yet, but just the thought of lighting it has got me thinking. What could be better than spending time in the company of fire? It's a small, controlled fire, admittedly, but surely they're the best kind, the safest anyway. But I reckon if you really pay attention to a candle flame, you'll see there's as much majesty there as an inferno. Majesty, now there's a strange use of that word. It's got weirdly political connotations and I'm not really comfortable using it because I'm not the biggest fan of the monarchy, to be honest. But what's an equivalent word for an anti-royalist to use instead of the word majestic? Glorious, possibly? I mean, what I'm doing there is substituting a political connotation for a religious one and I'm not religious either. So how do you describe the glory and the majesty of the miniature naked flame using apolitical, atheistic terms. Beauty. Yeah, let's go with that. Beauty. I like that. I'll post some candle pics online in the usual places, Twitter and Facebook and all that, just so you can see what I see. Or maybe I won't do that this time. Maybe I'll just describe it to you verbally and you can just, like, you know, imagine what it's like based on what I've told you. Now, this particular candle has been used a few times. It's red, by the way, in a circular glass container, about the size of a bunched fist. Imagine that. It's been used a few times, so there's... Shall I say wonderful? Yeah, I'll say wonderful. There are wonderful curled-up slopes around the perimeter where the wax is liquefied then hardened into this unique mini landscape. There aren't that many things you can say this about. This candle was designed and built to be slowly but surely destroyed, twisted further and further away from its original shape, growing more and more gnarled and asymmetrical. But that's the beauty of the candle. It's what turns a basic mass-produced household item into a creature with its own individual shape. And no doubt this was indeed mass-produced. I can't remember where I got it from. I think I may have found it in a bin. I washed it. But yes, presumably this was made in a factory. The modern-day candlestick makers like you know like you know like you know beauty yeah let's go with that beauty candlestick makers candlestick makers candlestick makers i like that like you know bunched fist imagine that wonderful like you know wonderful gnarled and asymmetrical i washed it i washed it candlestick makers candlestick makers candlestick makers i like that candlestick makers
Now, I know candles are still big business, but I do kind of feel sorry for the old candlestick makers from back in the day because they were totally screwed up by the electric light bulb. I'd imagine that put a real spanner in the works for the candlestick makers. And maybe some of them just couldn't accept it. They'd be like, it's a fad, lads, it's a fad. People are going to get really bored of electricity. It's too expensive. The lights are too bright. And they don't smell of anything. Nothing, right? Fad. And then as time went on, and the full impact of industrialization really kicked in, even the old skeptics would have had to admit defeat. They'd be like, right, lads, let's just regroup. Let's just try a little rebranding, right? First of all, let's really push this birthday thing. Really push that out there. Let's arrange things so every single person on their birthday celebrates with a cake and candles. And they can have, yeah, a candle for every year of their life. Have you noticed people have started living longer? This is a sound long-term strategy for an ageing population. Next, let's really emphasise the fact that candles smell nice. Let's put, like, flavouring in them and stuff. Flavouring, say the sceptics. Yeah, we could call them scented candles. Well, that's not going to take off, say the sceptics. Let's just focus on the birthday market. Maybe work on some novelty ones that magically relight themselves. And churches, hit the churches big time. They're going nowhere. And so, over time, with a few painful lessons learned and some surprise successes, the candlestick makers reshape their industry into what we know today. And what better symbol for these people to have than the candle itself? The ultimate symbol of transformation. Anyway, stick around because shortly I'm going to be lighting this candle. Mark my words on that. What could possibly go wrong? Candle, candle, candle. Screwed up by the electric light bulb. Nothing, right? Fad. Really push that out there. Really push that out there. Candle for every year of their life. Scented candles. Scented candles. Anyway. What could possibly go wrong? Anyway. What could possibly go wrong? Anyway. What could possibly go wrong? Well, that's not going to take off. Catchphrase there, guys, possibly. What do you think? The ultimate symbol transformation. Anyway, anyway, I'm going to be lighting this candle. Anyway, anyway. What could possibly go wrong? I'm going to be lighting this candle. Mark my words on that.
Right, we're here. If you've just joined us, actually, if you've just joined us, what are you playing at? Who does that? Who downloads a podcast and then starts in the middle? Stop it, Frank. Sorry, Lazarus. If you've just joined us, I'm here with a candle and a box of matches. And this right here now is the moment you've all been waiting for. I am going to light this candle. There you go. And right there, I've got that unmistakable matchstick whiff. And that little wobbly wisp of smoke has disappeared now. But the scent remains for the moment. And the feeling of just that tiny plume of smoke, you can feel it in the air. And right there, the golden flame. Smaller than my little finger, but its presence fills the room. And you can see why people talk about naked flames as though they're alive, as though they're people. For one thing, it's moving. It's bobbing gently up and down on the spot to its own beat. Occasionally mixing it up with a little weave from side to side. You can see that little wick just below the dancing flame, the titchy little black worm. If Wicks could think, what would this one be thinking right now? Is it thinking, oh no, here we go again, burn me up some more, why don't you? Or is it thinking something more along the lines of, it's party time. And that pool of wax just beneath it's already melted and slowly expanding, liquefying as the dancer busts its moves. Eternal. It's an eternal dance. You know what? Those sceptics among the candlestick makers, the ones who thought electric lights were a fad, I'm starting to think they were right. They are a temporary measure. There's no way the light bulbs are going to outlive the candle. Maybe those candlestick makers weren't making adaptations to their industry thanks to the march of progress. They were just temporarily restructuring, waiting for progress to bite its own tail and collapse. Waiting for the post-apocalypse, when talk of electricity is little more than nostalgia for an easier age, when candles were once again the only possible means of shining a light into the dark. And it's dark all the time, great dust clouds blocking out the sun. Survivors doing what they can to stay alive, accompanied by 24-7 candlelight. With no TV, no phones, not even any podcasts left. Not this one or anyone else's. What do the survivors do for entertainment? Well, what better way to pass the time than to sit back and gaze at the candle flames? The flames give them peace. The flames give them warmth. The flames make them feel weirdly grateful for the experience. Almost as though the apocalypse, as horrid as it undoubtedly was, was a welcome return to a world of silence and candlelight. And you know what's strangely uplifting about this experience for me? I'm here in my flat with my laptop, my microphone and my candle. And strictly speaking, 
I'm in breach of the terms of my tenancy agreement. I do have... I am, I am. I do hope my landlord isn't listening. I know it says no naked flames and this is a naked flame. But I'm tempted to take the moral high ground on this one, Mr. Colbred. That's my landlord's name, he's called Mr. Colbred. Yeah, old school. I'm tempted to suggest that the ban on naked flames isn't any kind of health and safety measure. It's a conscious effort on behalf of the legislators to force me to burn as much fossil fuel as possible with your electric lights and your fancy kitchen appliances. I say it's uplifting because, I don't know, it's that little feeling of being rebellious, fighting back against the system in my own harmless way. And that, dear listener, is what you're doing right now. You've seen mainstream culture and you've gone, nah, that's not for me. Ragbag with Frank Burton, a.k.a. Lazarus Newman. That's more my kind of thing. Well, do yourself a favour to complete this experience of ours. Get a candle out while you're listening. Light it up. Sit back and just soak it up. Look at it. Take in the smells. Take in the tiny sounds. Take in... The silence, yeah, it's gone silent, hasn't it? There's no music. Let's have some more music. I've just got one more thing to do now. (sighs) Farewell, Mr. Flame. Hello, gentle stream of smoke. Ah, Take it all in. That's good. That's really, really good. Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton. You know, I write books as well as doing this. Check them out on Amazon. 100 and a history of sarcasm. Also, I do hope you've been enjoying my video series, The Ragbag Rambler. I'm sure you have. Well, let's crack on with the podcast, shall we? It's another special edition, guys. Welcome, one and all. Welcome to the Barber's Pole Special. Now, listen up, listeners. I'm currently parked up in the camper van, you know, because that's where I live now. I'm parked up across the street from a barber shop with one of those spinning poles outside. You know the ones I mean, right? Well, this one, stripey, red, white, and blue traditional colors, and it has a little white ball at the top, like a Christmas bauble. And I'll tell you what, I absolutely love these things. I remember being totally transfixed by them as a child. 
and even today I can sit for hours just staring at these coloured stripes swirling round and round and round I'll tell you what I like about it it's completely unnecessary right you could just write the words barber shop on the sign outside and indeed that's what this particular shop has done and yet they also have this rotating stripy pole outside it's like a needless bit of decoration and I wonder why more shops don't do this I think every different kind of shop should have its own weird little decorative flourish like greengrocers can have a big wobbly balloon animal outside nothing to do with fruit and vegetables what's a stripy pole got to do with getting your hair cut nothing it's just good it's just a nice thing by the way talking of getting your hair cut it has come to my attention that there's a famous film director with the same surname as me and I'm on the lookout for different ways in which I can promote myself and my work so I am fully prepared to pretend to be Tim Burton's estranged English brother. Now I am not related to the famous film director Tim Burton but I thought it might help my career along a little bit if I hint or heavily imply or even strongly suggest that him and me are brothers so that's what I'm going to do just so you know any stories I tell about my brother Tim I'm just making it up right talking about getting your hair cut when I was a kid in the 80s my elder brother Tim who works in Hollywood showed me a movie script about a man with scissors for hands it was called Terry Bladefingers I read it and I thought it was really good I said I think this film of yours is going to be a big hit but don't call him Terry Bladefingers call him something else call him call him David Snipknuckles he didn't like that idea but he agreed to workshop it with the executives someone came up with the name Edward Scissorhands and the rest is history I didn't specifically think of that name myself but I did kind of kickstart that process so it's good to have a hand in a little slice of cinema history true story that absolute true story I'm still sitting here anyway looking up at the rotating barber's pole it looks kind of tasty doesn't it like one of those candy canes is that the point of these poles? Are they there to entice you in just by looking a little bit tasty? Like subconsciously maybe people are going into the barbers because they think it's a sweet shop. I wonder if half of these people in there right now are only in there because subconsciously they fancied a bit of pick and mix. Round and round it goes, look at that. Is it battery powered? I reckon I reckon it must be battery powered. Can't be plugged into the mains. They'd need to get up on a ladder, wouldn't they, to change the batteries? I wonder how easy it would be to steal. All I'd need would be a ladder and a couple of tools. Screwdrivers, maybe? Yeah, I reckon it's screwed on. I need to take a closer look at it. 
I'm not going to steal it, listeners. Not now, at the very least. It's broad daylight. I mean, if I did it at night time, it's unlikely I'd set off any alarms. I wouldn't be breaking into the premises. It's technically in the street already. Does that make it public property? If it's public property, I could just shoot up there right now, rip it off the wall and run off. And no one could arrest me for that. As I say, I'm not going to steal it. I just want one. I want to hold it in my hand. I want to take it away with me. But where are you supposed to get them from? I never see them on sale. Maybe they're all stolen. Maybe every single barber's pole you've ever seen in your life has been stolen from another barber's shop because no one knows any other way of getting hold of them. Not even the barbers know. No one knows how or where they were manufactured. There's no known company that makes them. No one knows how they manage to constantly spin. They're not battery powered as it turns out. It's magic. It's perpetual motion. Maybe they all arrived one day from outer space and for reasons unknown, each of these extraterrestrial devices decided to attach themselves to the front of the world's barber shops, spinning and spinning, constantly spinning. On the other hand, I could probably just order one from Amazon. I don't have an address anymore, but they do that pick-up box thing, whatever it's called. I'm not going to advertise or even endorse the use of that particular company. In terms of Amazon's treatment of its workers and its shameless tax evasion, its 0% commitment to environmental concerns, I'd recommend not going near it. But on the plus side, they do sell my books. Um, History of Sarcasm, that's the first one, celebrating its 10-year anniversary right now. Then, of course, there's the masterpiece novel, 100. Check them both out. Available on Amazon. And just looking at the app, they do appear to have quite a wide range of barber's poles available see 80 pounds 100 pounds 140 pounds i think i'll buy just maybe three or four of these i recently discarded around 95 percent of my personal possessions so there's room in the van for three or four barbers poles i do hope you're okay with this nathaniel He's disappeared, by the way, listeners. It's a long story. It's a very, very long story. But I met him, as a matter of fact. I met him, and then he disappeared, and he deactivated the email account he's been contacting me through. I have no other details for him, as it happens. Nathaniel Anniversary Pylon is not that man's real name. So I'm guessing that's the last time I'll see him. I'm also guessing I won't be receiving any more funds from him. And you know what? It has emotionally affected me. I'll be honest with you, it has. I can't exactly say how without revealing the details of the incredibly long story that's attached to this. Suffice to say, the details will come out at some point in the future. Yes, they will, Nathaniel. Yes, they will. 
whether you're still listening or not, whether you like it or not, they will. Sorry, I didn't mean to get angry about it. As I say, I'm a little bit emotion, as they say. Is that what they say? I like to say only the first part of what. You like that? I was going to say, I like to say the first part of words, and then I, you know, I didn't say the whole word. That was a joke. It's a joke just to lighten the mood. Okay. God. Anyway, to cut an incredibly long and complicated story short, I think that's why I'm here today. All this Nathaniel business. I think that's why I came and parked here and decided somewhat on the spur of the moment to do this Barber's Pole special. Maybe for purely nostalgic reasons because I've been thinking about the past. I can't really tell you which aspects of the past I've been thinking about but they are quite a nostalgic thing these Barber's Poles aren't they because they've been around for a long time and I suppose you could call them traditional a symbol of this being a traditional barber shop which is a curious concept I suppose because where are all the non-traditional barber shops? They don't exist. They all use scissors. Are there some slightly more modern barbers where robots cut your hair with laser beams? Such a thing does not exist. All barber shops are traditional by default. Maybe that's why these spinning coloured poles are here with us on this planet of ours. It's to ignite these little pangs of nostalgia within you and therefore make you feel good about the experience. Stripey, 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 red, white and blue traditional colours. Stripey, I absolutely love these things. I absolutely love these things. I absolutely love these things. I'll tell you what I like about it. It's completely unnecessary, right? You could just... Unnecessary. 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 Right, 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 right. Right, 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 right. I absolutely love these things. Now, I am not related to the famous film director Tim Burton. Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. I am not related. Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. I said, I think this film of yours is going to be a big hit. Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton. I remember when I was 13, my older brother Tim was visiting from the United States. It was 1994. He was in the UK promoting his film, Ed Wood. And he told my mum he'd take me out somewhere. I was becoming a bit of a sulky teenager and I told him I didn't want to go anywhere. We'll go bowling, he said. I said, I don't like bowling. He said, do you like food? They do burgers there. I told him I was vegan now, 
So a burger was out of the question. He said, would you like video games? They have an arcade in there. My mum never let me have a games console. And I had to admit, I would rather like to go and play some video games with Tim. My mum was fine with that, but she insisted Tim took me for a haircut first. Now, I'd always been rather afraid of getting my hair cut. Most kids get over that fear while they're still toddlers. But for me, there was something deeply uncomfortable about having part of my body cut off. It actually felt painful, all in my imagination, but still. I didn't want my big brother to see me like that. We weren't close. I hardly ever saw him. But I still looked up to him. But what could I do? Should I confess to Tim that I was afraid of getting my hair cut? Or should I bottle up the fear, bite the bullet and get on with it? I decided to go with the latter option. Be a proper man like my brother. We paused outside the barber shop. I looked up at the spinning red and white pole hanging above the door. I'd seen these things before, but weirdly, this was the first time I'd actually paid proper attention to it. Are you coming inside, said Tim. I pointed up at the barber's pole. What's that, I said. It's like a symbol, he said. A symbol to say, this is a barber's shop. I like it, I said. I know what you mean, he said. It's like a lava lamp, isn't it? Come on, let's get this haircut done. And we'll get down to business. Wait a minute, I said. You're not scared of getting your hair cut, are you? He said. He wasn't making fun of me or criticising. He was concerned. I'm not, I said firmly. Come on then, he said. I felt my whole body stiffen as I stepped through that door. There were two barbers on duty, one by the window, halfway through someone's wet shave, and another at the back of the room, who was beckoning me towards him. I stood still and didn't say anything. Actually, said Tim, let's wait for the window seat to be free, then you can watch that spinning pole while you get your hair cut. The barber smiled to show he wasn't offended by us snubbing him. He gestured for me and Tim to sit down. I sat in a spot where I could see the barber's pole. I watched for the next five minutes. It did indeed calm me down. I was hardly bothered when the barber by the window welcomed me into his seat. I sat and watched the rotating pole while the scissors snipped away. I hope you don't mind me saying, said the barber, addressing Tim. You look an awful lot like that film director bloke. I am that film director bloke, said Tim, the expression sounding odd in his American accent. I knew it, said the barber. It's an honour to have you here, sir. For obvious reasons, I'm a massive fan of Edward Scissorhands. Not just that, all the other ones as well. I mean, Beetlejuice, wow. Labyrinth, classic. Labyrinth was directed by Jim Henson, said Tim. I'd love to be able to take credit myself. How do you do it all? 
said the barber. Where do you get all these ideas? Well, it's a team effort, said Tim. I have a lot of help. For example, my brother here actually came up with the name Edward Scissorhands. I was going to call it Terry Blade Fingers. The barber laughed. Yeah, you made a fine contribution there, young man, he said to me. Sounds like creativity runs in the family. The haircut was done. He dusted me off with a brush and I jumped down from the chair, no longer having to rely on the spinning pole to settle me down. The barber shook us both by the hand and told us the haircut was on the house. Tim signed his name on the wall with a thick black marker and drew a little cartoon next to it which the barber assured us would remain there forever. As we stepped out into the street, it occurred to me that this had been the most hassle-free haircut I'd ever had. I'd actually enjoyed it. Tim had done that. He knew exactly what to do to make me feel valued and special and calm. And then I thought, no, that's not right. He can't get away with this. He can't just swoop in, sort my problems out, treat me like a proper brother, and then disappear to Hollywood, returning again maybe in a couple of years when it happens to be convenient. You did well there, Frank, he said. As we walked back to the car park where his driver was waiting. Now let's go play some games, eh? I hear they got Mario Kart. I stopped walking. I said, no, Tim, I am not playing Mario Kart with you. You are no kind of brother. I hardly even know who you are. You don't just get to pick me up and drop me when it suits you, mate. Either be here full time or disappear. I can't be here full time, he said. I have important work to do overseas. Oh, important work, is it? I said, you know what? I've read about this film of yours, Ed Wood, the true story of the worst film director of all time. If you want my opinion, Tim, you are the worst film director of all time. You're a terrible film director and an even worse human being. And as far as I'm concerned, you can get lost. Go to your premiere and fly off back home. I'm going to my home now, yeah? I marched off down the street. He didn't bother calling after me. You know what, listeners? As you know, strictly speaking, I am not related to the film director, Tim Burton. Maybe I am distantly, perhaps, I don't know. But we've never met. He's not really my brother. Nonetheless, that story I just told you, yeah, that's a true story. I just changed a few of the details around. It wasn't Tim who took me to the barbers. No, it wasn't. It was my dad. My dad charmed the barbers into giving us a free haircut. Not because he was famous, but because he was a salesman with the gift of the gab and he liked to save money wherever he could. He also liked to show off. He actually did draw a cartoon on the wall and as far as I know, it's still there. And when we got out into the street, I did say all of those things. 
But of course, I didn't say he was the worst film director of all time, or even the worst salesperson of all time. What I said was, well, what I said was he was the worst father of all time. And in hindsight, I think that must have hurt him. And even after what happened later, I regret saying those things. You know, as regular listeners will know, my dad popped out for a bottle of milk in 2004 and never came back. So I didn't really get to make my peace with him. But you know what? I've written a book all about it. And the book will be out very soon. It's all about me and my dad and what happened after he left. Uh, my investigations into what happened, why he left, where he went. And in doing so, I uncovered a whole range of weird family secrets. It's a great book. And yeah, I hope you check it out when it arrives. I'm pleased with it. We've departed, haven't we, from the subject of barber's poles. But that's okay. I think it's quite important to make it clear that I've kind of made my peace with my dad now. End of story. And perhaps you could say a new one is just beginning. Thank you for listening. Nice little trip down memory lane, as they say. More bonus bag best ofs on the way. Watch out for I Like The Sound podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it. It's going to be great. At Ragbag Presents is the handle on Twitter and Instagram. Remember to leave us a comment or a DM with the words, I'm only here for the snacks, so that we know you're a Ragbag listener and we can give you some kind of special treatment. See you soon. I'm only here for the snacks. I'm only here for the snacks. I'm only here for the snacks.